Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Gwinnett, it's time for Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by Computer Design and Integration. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by CDI Managed Services in EMC. I'm your host, Nicole Toptosh, along with my co-host, Dominic Rainey. Good morning, Dom. It's so good to be back with you in the studio on this beautiful sunny day with the birds chirping. It's great to have you in the captain's chair, Nicole. The spring is in the air. Yes, and let's heat it up in here and uh, meet our great guests that we have on today's show. From Speed Emissions, we have the president and CEO, Rich Palantieri. Also joining us today is Charles Hall, the physician's liaison with Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia. And we also have the pleasure of having the Senior VP of Open Hand Atlanta, Jess Parsons-White. Welcome to the show, everyone. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Rich, why don't you get the wheel spinning, no pun intended, and tell us about Speed Emissions and what you do there. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, we're a 14-year-old company that was uh, among the first uh, to develop and build the emission test-only model um, in Atlanta. And we've grown over that period from one store to 43 stores in four cities, Atlanta, Houston, St. Louis, and Salt Lake. Uh, along with that, uh, in 2010, we began to look at automotive technology and brought out a, a, a couple of iPhone apps called Carbonga and uh, Carbonga SRI. And it was the first iPhone app designed to help a consumer diagnose their own vehicle uh, for emission problems and more. And then we followed that up, as I said, with Carbonga SRI, which is an app that's a very much a revolutionary app that will allow a, uh, a consumer to know all about the safety recall history and the technical service bulletin history, or the TSBs as it's called, when the manufacturer is telling the dealer there's a problem with your car, but we, uh, it's, not, it's not to the level of where it has to be recalled or where there's any public notice given. Um, so then most recently we've been also uh, piloting a repair model because we've seen some industry changes that we can talk about in a few minutes, and which has led us to rebrand our company uh, with some new names and new colors and new logos this year. And uh, we'll, we'll be calling ourselves Expresso Emissions Car Cafe for our repair model and Expresso Emissions for our emission stores. Mm. Um, along with that, we just uh, signed a venture to go into the registration renewal business to allow consumers uh, to not have to go to a DMV office and or go uh, sit at home and worry about renewing their tags and hopefully we'll have that launch sometime this summer. So that kind of gives you a, a few minutes overview of who we are. Now you spoke about the name change. Why the rebranding of the company? Well, we're in an industry that's a commodity business, one that has seen the barriers of entry drop dramatically over the last few years, uh, one that has seen uh, legislative uh, uh, revisions in, in two of the markets that we're in. Um, and what we've seen is a, a plethora of, in, uh, of competitors come to the market. People who didn't used to be in the business, whether they sell tires, they sell mufflers, they sell brakes, are all suddenly racing into this business. Because at the end of the day, you're looking at an industry on the automotive aftermarket side that's roughly $315 billion. And after much research, we analyzed that the, we'll call it the DIFM, that's do it for me market, mm -hmm. is about $155 billion. And in that marketplace, um, as much as one would think it's franchised, on the contrary, it's incredibly mom-and-pop fragmented. And we feel that with a new name, a new color scheme, as I said a moment ago, and a new logo, that there's opportunity for us to convert our customers whose cars don't pass mm -hmm. into our customer whose car we're going to fix. And so we've, um, that's why we're rebranding it and mm -hmm. carving that piece of the market, not deserting the core emission business, of course, because we're continuing to look at new markets. But we feel very strongly that our repair model is going to offer something that you don't see in the marketplace today. And to summarize it, it's, it's tailored um, more for the female than the male, mm -hmm. uh, because more women take their cars in to get repaired than men. Um, more men fix their cars themselves. That's and our, our new store design will allow you to feel like you're in an internet cafe uh, while you're also shopping for, for, for some snacks or some automotive things for your car or whatever and have some food and beverage. It's a, it's a very unique design that we've posted on our website. Uh, so we're very excited about it. 
sounds very innovative. I like that name, Espresso. I see the word express, so that means we'll get in and out very quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. A lot of work went into cre- uh, the, the firm that we hired presented a lot of names. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about the, um, the landscape, the industry landscape for emission training. Well, that's it's an, it's an interesting training is a key word here because what you have is, is standards that are uh, fundamentally the same but different. Um, each state's standards for emissions follow certain uh, EPA guidelines, but then each state has it tweaked to what their own air quality needs are with respect to meeting what the government has set for uh, pollution for, as example, greater Atlanta or greater Houston. Um, so the training aspect of it changes a little bit, and part of it is also the fact that uh, it's it's really – I like to say this, and it's hard sometimes for people to understand. We really don't do any mission tests anymore. We really read a computer screen, mm. and we are really computer technicians because what we're doing is taking a cable – and plugging it into the OBD port of that vehicle, which is the computer system that's running that car, and we're, we're reading codes. That's why our iPhone app does the same thing. We're reading codes. We're reading a screen that says um, your uh, EGR valve is at this code and your uh, O2 sensor is at this code. So it's more of computer-driven now than I have to be a mechanic to learn how to do an emission test. Okay. One of the uh, quotes that you have on your website says, when car dealers give you lemons, we've got your lemonade with Carbonga CSRI. Can you talk to me more about that? Oh, I, it's, it's something near and dear to my heart, uh, and I, I, I can best underscore it this way. 40.5 million used cars were sold last year. Of that, approximately 2.5 million of those cars were were under a recall notice and were never fixed. Um, NBC did a big uh, expose on that early last year, uh, mid-year last year. And when you take that 40.5 million used cars, well, certainly you can go online and or you can buy the Carfax report. But here's, as, as I said earlier, there's an underlying message that's not being communicated to the public, and that is um, how many times has that car been recalled if you're not the original owner, because they're not required to track you down, as, as everyone knows. If you sell that car tomorrow, and let's just, I'm going to use an example of one of my employees who happens to have a 2005 Acura TL. So that's now a nine-year-old car. Well, uh, this is my executive assistant, and, and her car bought, she bought used in 07. Uh, it's been recalled five times, of course, but she didn't know that. Um, you know, the first two recalls, but since she's had it, it's been recalled a couple times. Um, it's had uh, approximately 53 technical service bulletins. And most recently, uh, on January 28th, we were at lunch, my uh, executive assistant, my CFO, and our phone goes off because we've built a push notification into Carbonga SRI, and her car, um, Acura, has just issued a notice about the accelerator on her car and that there could be a potential problem on that make and model. Uh, Now, she has a six-year-old, almost six. An accelerator problem on a car, as we all know, is a potential catastrophe waiting to happen. After we got back from lunch, she picked up the phone, called the Acura dealer and said, look, does my car fall into this technical service bulletin issue of uh, an accelerator? As it turned out, it did. It did. Now, if she had not had Carbonga SRI on her phone or I had not had it on my phone, she's going to be driving her 2005 Acura with an accelerator problem, not mandated to go get it fixed under a recall notice but something that is a potential problem. So that's what Carbonga SRI does. If you're going to go buy a used car or you're going to sell a car, or better yet, let me put it in this context, you're a lot of private sales for used cars. This allows you to quickly type in make, model, year, and look at the history of that model in a matter of seconds and know how many recalls have been issued on that model and or how many technical service bulletins have been issued on that model. And many of the technical service bulletins are not of, of great value, but certainly accelerator problems, 
that's a very, very important one. So that's why we have that line on Carbonga SRI. It's currently only available on the iPhone and iPad, uh, and we hope to have it, well, we will have it on the uh, Android operating system early in the second quarter. Right. It seems like in this day and age, it's all about the app. Now, with this particular uh, app, does it also work for older vehicles as well? It goes uh, all the way to 19... uh, I want to go back to, I think it was to 1990 through 2013. Okay. I, okay. That's, it's, that's reasonable. Now, you spoke about um, the benefits and the details of Carbonga SRI. Can you talk about Carbonga SRI versus the first app that you had, Carbonga? Yes. The, the, the basic Carbonga diagnostic app, which, is, which would tell you the trouble codes uh, of your car. As an example, if your check engine light's on, and you ran Carbonga. Now, then you can tell why that check engine light's on. It will give you the code that applies to your, um, to your emission systems, and there are about five different parts, excuse me, that apply to the emission systems. Carbonga basically needs two things to operate. Well, it needs either a cable to operate or a Bluetooth device to operate. And we're, the cable is available on, on Amazon uh, but we're developing the Bluetooth device to run our own Carbonga app, and hopefully we'll have that as uh, ready to go in the second quarter as well. And that's why we're trying to get it all done on both uh, Android and, and uh, the iPhone systems. Sounds good. We're speaking today with Rich Palantiri with Speed Emissions. Hey, Rich. Uh, is it uh, too early to talk about cost for the, for the new product, Carbonga? No, uh, the app, uh, the Carbonga SRI, uh, you mean what's it selling for in the iPhone or in the App Store? No, it's at $499, but it's uh, uh, with a, that's one cost. And no matter when we upgrade it, the upgrades are free. And when the database is expanded, there's no um, yearly subscription to it. You get all of the uh, benefits going forward from day one. That's, that's an awesome price structure. Well, we're, we're, we think it is, uh, Dominic, and the reason being $5 for peace of mind for a used vehicle. And, and, and let me add, the average car on the road today is 11.3 years old. 11.3. I mean, it's, it's a, when you think about that, $5 for something that says, what if... I mean, it's 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 really good insurance. I mean, I, I, I'm um, we're excited about it. We spent a lot of time and cost and, and energy trying to get it to the table in the right context, and uh, yeah. with the push notification sitting there, it's it's just a great benefit. And, and I only had one thing on the recall. Um, my wife, and this is a personal thing. We were uh, on vacation in Florida last year, and she has a Lexus RX three fifty, and I had the recall notice on my phone the day that Lexus announced it. Again, we called the Lexus dealer. They said you can drive back home from Florida to Atlanta. It's not a problem. So That's great for the recall stuff. Yeah, excellent. excellent. It is. It can is. you explain a little bit about RVR and how it will work? Sure. Uh, RVR stands for Retail Vehicle Registration. And uh, the idea here is that um, because you have to – in the in 32 states, you have to get an emission test before you can get a license plate. And, of course, we're right there with everybody here in Atlanta. And we began to look at this and say, well, what if we can create a convenience? Because many states don't have it designed by birthday where it flows at a much better procedure. Many of them are when the car was registered. And, and so consequently, uh, you know, June is a big sales month, so you have to renew your registration in June and the lines to the DMV because surprisingly, one would think that everybody would either uh, use their uh, uh, computer at home or, or do it uh, via the mail. Well, many states have blocks on the uh, uh, online ordering system and, and or uh, the mail system isn't the most efficient as as we could all attest. So we began to study that and say, look, we think that fits for what we do. And with 32 states doing uh, vehicle emissions and, and uh, uh, 87 million cars being tested in those 32 states, we feel there's an opportunity for us. So this is a software piece again, but we feel it fits into what we're doing uh, because, you know, we do a quarter of a million emissions a year. And, um, 
uh, I think we have a fairly good understanding of, of how that all can fit together. Well, that's, uh, you know, I'm a guy that doesn't like to take tests. And every time I get my admission test, I stand there and I, with bated breath, waiting. And, you know, and I love the idea of having the espresso in the cafe uh, so that you can do the Internet stuff and you can keep your mind busy while you just come out and get your report. Uh, well, Dominic, Is that where this business is going? We so think that, so. We, th- we think so. I mean, th- I, I said earlier the, the DIFM, Do It For Me market, is $155 billion. Approximately 60, almost 63% of that market is mom and pops. And here's the, this is the, the thing that I, I think that we were shocked to see. The major franchises, well, the, the largest, I guess this wouldn't be a surprise, the largest repair business, meaning light automotive repair, oil, tires, is Walmart. <laughs> what a surprise, yeah. right? And then it goes down from there, from the Meinekees to the Midases to the Amcos to the Jiffy Lubes, and it just continues to fall down. Those companies of the major national chains only constitute 9% of that market. 63%, a little under 63, goes to the mom and pops, as I said, and the rest goes to the car dealers. And the major car dealer that's chasing that business today is Ford, Ford Motor Company, with it's called QuickLink. And, and as you look at this industry, uh, which, as I said, we've studied greatly for the last um, year and a half before we even began to pilot the repair business here in Atlanta, um, we just felt that there's a real niche there. And neighborhood kind of idea, focus on, the, on the, the female customer because studies have proven that women pay more for automotive repair than men. And we feel that if we tailor it the right way, that we're going to end up with a, a really good model. And we've, we've got that model approved for franchising, which after we build our first two stores here in Atlanta uh, over the next 12 months, then we'll begin to franchise it nationwide. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, was managing parking lots. He was in that parking lot management business, and you're in the emission business. And one thing he said to me is, it sounds simple, doesn't it? There's it's, a lot more to it. Simple's hard. Yes. Yeah. Simple, not easy. And you're innovative. Uh, I really see where you're going. I mean, this computerization, uh, the you know, with the cars and you know, sensors and all that stuff. Uh, it's great to see where you're taking the company. Well, well thanks, Dominic. We, I, I like to tell our guys when we uh, our employees, uh, which we have a, a bunch, of course, in, with 43 stores. Um, when we have employee meetings every year, well, I, a couple of years ago, I wrote four names on a board. I wrote the name. Howard Johnson's, I wrote the name Mervyn's, I wrote the name Circuit City, and I wrote the name Blockbuster, and I put a circle around it. And, and I would ask, you know, who, when's the last time somebody was at Circuit City? When was the last time somebody was Howard Johnson and Mervyn's? And nobody understood why I had a circle on Blockbuster. And I said, because they're next. And if you don't change and you don't adapt to your business environment and to your climate, uh, then that's what happens. And so... Uh, you know, we've got uh, 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 a challenge in front of us, but one that we feel very strongly is that um, if, it's, if it's, we think it's organized properly, now it comes down to executing. We've been listening to Rich Parlantieri. Uh, he's the CEO and president of Speed Emissions. Um, Rich, uh, tell, our, tell our listeners uh, who might be investors or interested in Speed Emissions to where they can go to for information, find out more about how they can get engaged in your... Th- oh, I'd company. be happy to. Uh, first of all, thank you for allowing me to, to be here again. But Speed Emissions, Inc. is SPMI, O-T-C-B-B. Uh, we have a, a website uh, that shows and details everything that I've just kind of covered for you um, and what we, we see exciting coming forward in 2014 and beyond. So speedemissionsinc.com. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, We appreciate Dominic. you being here. Thank Thanks, you so Nicole. much. Next on our broadcast, we have Charles Hall with Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia. Welcome to the show, Charles. Give us some background about Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia and what you do there. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. We're really excited to uh, be invited to be here on the show. Um, Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia is a physician's practice. Uh, we specialize in um, the resolution of chronic wounds uh, of, of all types. Um, you know, a lot of people know that there are hospital programs uh, located within uh, various metro hospitals. Um, ours is a freestanding uh, program that has several offices. We're uh, in the medical office building at uh, Kenstone Hospital. Uh, we have one in the medical office building at Northside Forsyth. 
Uh, our practice is actually located downstairs in the hospital at uh, St. Joseph, though we're not part of the hospital proper itself. Uh, and then we have a practice in Lithonia, um, just near Hillendale Hospital. Um, uh, we used to have one in uh, Johns Creek, but we have since closed that practice and, and consolidated to uh, keep our four core practices here. Okay, interesting. You talked about uh, helping with healing chronic diseases. So who needs to be seen by your physicians? Talk to me about that. Well, it's it's really kind of a broad spectrum of, of folks who end up needing the uh, care of a specialist in, in wounds. Um, it varies from folks who've got diabetes. That's a very large mm-hmm. portion of the patients that we serve. Uh, they have uh, a tendency to have problems healing due to the damage that uh, the disease process does to uh, their their vascular system in particular. Um, and in addition to that, they tend to be a little bit more prone to develop uh, limb-threatening infections, uh, both in the soft tissue as well as the bone. Um, you know, 85% of the patients that uh, undergo uh, uh, an amputation in the diabetic population started out with an ulcer on their foot. Um, and many of those can occur in very innocuous ways. A person mm-hmm. with diabetes may go out today and uh, they've got a pair of shoes that they haven't owned very long, or maybe they go for a walk with a family or, or mow the yard, do some activity that they haven't done uh, in a while, may start off as a blister that's really mm-hmm. small, doesn't look like any big deal for you and me. It might not be, um, but it never does want to heal. Uh, and from there, um, that open wound can lead to an infection that gets into the soft tissue. And because it tends to happen over bony prominences like around the side of your toes or the joints uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in your foot uh, that can quickly get to the bone. And, and once that uh, infection called osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the bone, once that develops, it can be extremely challenging to, uh, to resolve that infection. Um, one of the reasons why is because even in normal tissue, normal bone, uh, it's not very vascular. There's not a lot of blood supply in there just in a normal person. So when you compromise that further with some disease process from the diabetes, complicate that with uh, impaired uh, blood flow due to the infection and the swelling and, and uh, the products that the, the organisms produce there, it can be very, very difficult to deliver um, antibiotics there. Um, another large group that we serve are patients that have had radiation therapy, um, folks who go for prostate cancer treatment or uh, breast cancer treatment or various gynecologic oncology uh, uh, problems that get radiation treatment. Um, obviously, they're very, very good nowadays at delivering radiation very specifically and trying to minimize the amount of normal tissue that we're radiating. But um, it's still going to do some damage. It's still going to create some problems in the normal tissue. Most of those uh, uh, problems are short-lived and they go away, but a a small group of those patients who get radiation now, you know, about a year and a half to two or three years or even, you know, decades later, uh, the problems can manifest themselves. It's called late effects of radiation. Um, And depending on where you got radiation for a man with prostate cancer or or maybe a woman with ovarian cancer, for example, who ends up getting some radiation uh, to their abdominal areas, uh, rectal tissue is very, very susceptible to uh, radiation, uh, and uh, so is the bladder wall. And mm-hmm. so those patients can end up developing bleeding from their bladder, uh, having rectal bleeding, uh, getting problems with, uh, it's called enteritis, but, you know, uh, uh, soft stools, pain, and frequency. I mean, it's really disruptive to their quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, Women can have, uh, you know, issues where it affects um, sexual intercourse, for example. Um, and so for a younger woman who is still at reproductive age, who goes through some cancer treatment, um, it can certainly be very disruptive to their family's quality of life. Uh, a woman can be a breast cancer survivor but can't put on a seatbelt or carry her child or uh, wear a, a bra without having severe pain in the uh, breast where she received radiation therapy. Those are all patients that have a very high rate of success if they can get to a hyperbaric medicine program. Um, and, you know, thankfully we've got several around the city, so it's pretty convenient for most people to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, from there, I mean, those are the larger groups that, in my opinion, really need to benefit from uh, knowing that we're here because part of our problem in a, in a community awareness 
sense is that there's there's about 150, 160 medical programs if you count the osteopathic programs out there for, for medical schools, and only 16 of those have hyperbaric medicine as part of their program. So 85% of the physicians that graduate from a medical school, even if it's a highly reputable program, may, may know very, very little about hyperbaric medicine. It might get mentioned in a kind of a in a, in an aside as part of their training mm-hmm. um, because we're treating a portion of a small portion. So um, even though statistically our groups are small, um, numerically, uh, there's a lot of patients that get uh, uh, prostate cancer. Um, 2% of those patients are going to develop late effects, and some of those patients, probably a third or, or close to half, may end up having a chronic issue that could benefit from us. So, um, you know, anybody that has surgery that has a, a wound that's not coming together like it should, uh, anybody that has a wound that's just you know, with some good basic care, a wound should heal in a week to two weeks. So uh, if that's not happening, um, they could benefit from getting to a specialist like us. The groups that you spoke about, you know, it's a vast uh, number of people who could benefit from hyperbaric medicine. Can you talk a little bit about exactly what is hyperbaric medicine? Yeah, yeah it's, a lot of people believe that hyperbaric medicine is 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 you get into a chamber filled with oxygen and the oxygen touching the wound is what's going to make it heal. But actually, what we're taking advantage of with our hyperbaric chamber, you go inside of a chamber, it's, it's, physically it's very much like an experimental submarine, if you will. It's, it's airtight, um, and we, we fill the chamber with 100% oxygen. It's not room air like we're breathing right here. It's pure oxygen that you're breathing in the chamber. We pressurize the, the chamber. Uh, much like when you go up in an airplane, you know, they pressurize the atmosphere so that uh, uh, y- your oxygen levels and your comfort level are, are, are maintained at, while at altitude. We're doing the same thing. You go in the, into the chamber and we're pressurizing it such that uh, the amount of gas that you absorb into your bloodstream when you, bleed, when you breathe is, is affected um, by the pressure of the atmosphere. So if you dive down in a swimming pool, for example, you notice how you have to pop your ears because that pressure is pushing on your ears. When you go down uh, under underwater, uh, that increasing pressure makes you absorb higher and higher quantities of whatever gas you're breathing. So if a scuba diver goes down with a tank of, of room air and they go down very deep, well, they're obviously going to absorb higher quantities of the oxygen that's in the air, but along with that, they're going to absorb very high quantities of nitrogen. So then when they start to come back towards the surface, the nitrogen wants to bubble out of their their system a little more quickly than uh, the oxygen does, and that's how you get the bends. So when we take a person into the hyperbaric medicine chamber, we're going to give you pure oxygen, pressurize the the chamber. You don't feel anything when you're in the chamber other than maybe popping your ears while we're pressurizing, but otherwise you don't have any kind of a sensation uh, for the treatment. You're just laying in a chamber watching a television or sitting in a chair watching a television. But um, what happens is as that pressure in the environment increases – then your body begins to absorb through the lungs higher and higher quantities of oxygen. And, and um, you may or may not have heard of, of water poisoning in the past where people are having contests who can drink the most water and that kind of thing. You can actually poison yourself with very high quantities of water because it starts changing your body chemistry. Well, similarly, when you breathe something kind of innocuous seeming as oxygen, but you do so under pressure like that and you absorb such high quantities such that uh, we're many, many times over what we're breathing here uh, and is in our bloodstream right now, it begins to act like a drug and it changes the way the receptors on our cells function, the the, the way that uh, cells behave. So um, it's it's actually through breathing that oxygen into your bloodstream. And um, if you a good example is using diabetes and radiation kind of creates some similar problems with a different mechanism, but those those disease processes damage your your vascular system. So if you can imagine the, 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 the cells at the tissue where the oxygen and the food, you know, the nutrients jump off, it's a straw, okay? Um, those are the capillaries, as they're called, the very, very tiny blood vessels at the tissue level. Um, if you imagine that as a straw and the red blood cells, we're going to represent those with peas. Well, down at that level where the nutrition is getting in, into the cells, well, they have to line up single file to go through there. So we can roll our peas through the through the straw just fine. Um, but if you have a disease process like um, diabetes or radiation injury, the imagine lining that straw now with some sandpaper and you try to push the peas through. Well, they want to get hung up and they don't flow through there very well. 
uh, and can actually just have difficulty passing out the other side where you and I are sitting here, our red cells are what's carrying the oxygen to the tissue. So in that patient, very little oxygen actually gets through to the wound. Uh, in the case of the hyperbaric medicine chamber where you've absorbed all of this oxygen into the bloodstream, we're actually oxygenating the liquid part of the blood, which normally doesn't carry any oxygen. So we give you so much oxygen in the bloodstream, we can actually take the red part of the blood out. And you would sit here reading a magazine as though you wouldn't know the difference. So what happens is then now that highly oxygenated liquid part of the blood can more easily, you can imagine, more easily flow through that damaged uh -huh. uh, vessel or in our case, the damaged draw. And so that's one of the big ways that what we do works is because we're now able to highly oxygenate what is a you know poorly oxygenated wound uh, whether it's in the bone uh, where there's an infection or or in a wound in a diabetic's foot in mm -hmm. the soft tissue that's not healing well or an irradiated field where um, the the blood vessels have become damaged so when you do that when you are able to raise the oxygen levels up like that um, you know the healing process becomes more active at that point in time. The, the cells that fight infection become a lot more able to do so because we're supplying them with all the ammunition that they need. Um, and like I said, when it's doing its drug-like effects, there's certain, like stem cells are affected, things like that, um, that make the wound now advance towards healing much more quickly than it would if they didn't have access to that kind of treatment. That is very interesting. Now, you spoke about, you know, different types of wounds, whether it's soft tissue or in a bone. Any metrics on in terms of the length of time that it would take to heal a specific wound, let's say, in soft tissue through hyperbaric medicine? Well, if you compare it to mm -hmm. the, a person who's maybe getting really good wound care in a mm -hmm. practice that doesn't have access to hyperbaric medicine, we're, we're talking significant reductions in time for, yeah. for most of the patients who get it. So again, it goes back to that level of uh, oxygenation in the tissue, and, and that's the one piece that a wound practitioner who doesn't have hyperbaric medicine available to them, they don't have. So mm -hmm. if you keep a wound clean and you manage the moisture uh, of the wound, um, that in and of itself is going to make a lot of wounds heal, but, uh -huh. but for the really challenging wound like we're talking about where they're really vascularly compromised, um, I mean, we're, we're talking several months of time that can be taken off. In fact, we've had patients that come to us um, that were being treated in, in, a, in a wound program of some kind, uh, either in a physician's office or, or in a wound program that didn't have hyperbaric medicine that had been in their care for over a year. Um, in, in fact, some patients have multiple years of time where the wound was never fully closed, or if it did close it very briefly and it was back open again, um, getting to us the, and being healed in, you know, eight, eight weeks to, to, to 12 weeks. You know, that, that sounds like a lot of time, but when you're, when you're comparing that to a person who's dealing with the wound for as long as a year or more in some cases, uh, that's obviously a significant reduction of time, and they're able to get back to their more normal activities. It's mm -hmm. very disruptive to either have to wear a big boot um, or, or, you know, not be able to get up and get around because you're on a on one of those, you know, big walkers or things like that that they right. have to use to try to have get some around. activities of daily life. Mm -hmm. Can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, mild hyperbaric medicine? <laughs> yeah, what mild hyperbaric medicine, most of us are aware of, uh, you know, the various athletes that go and buy the bag, the soft-sided bag, and in fact, there's places around the metro that offer mild hyperbaric medicine. There's chiropractors and, and different, there's, I think there's a couple of businesses actually that offer mild hyperbaric medicine because um, there's, there's thought that you get in and you get your oxygen elevated a little bit and you're going to feel more refreshed, feel more lively. You're, um, it, it's, it's more of a, uh, I guess, a mental benefit, if you will, um, because basically what's happening is those devices were developed to help uh, mountain climbers uh, when they go up into very high altitude where the pressure is very low. Um, using the same law that affects us where we're making you absorb high quantities of oxygen, well, when you go to a very high altitude where the pressure is very low, you're going to absorb very little of the gas out of the air. So you're, there's not a lot of oxygen up there anyway, and we're not able to absorb a whole lot of it. So those, pa those patients that develop altitude sickness at the high levels of altitude, well, they could get into one of those bags and it would give them um, about the equivalent of 5,000 foot. So if you're up 
if you're up, you know, 15, 20,000 foot on a mountain and you get into a bag because you're having uh, a crisis uh, of hypoxic, you know, uh, status, then if we pressurize you to 5,000 feet, that's getting you down closer to sea level and so you could recover on room air or maybe just a little bit of supplemental oxygen. But if you compare that to what we're doing, imagine if you got an infection and you went to the doctor and he's prescribing you this pill. It's a certain dose of antibiotic, right? If you cut that pill into nine parts and took that for your infection, that's basically the difference between what we're doing with real hyperbaric medicine versus you breathing room air in a soft-sided bag. That takes you down less than 10 feet equivalent under, underwater. We're taking you to a minimum of 33 feet, and the difference between that is very, very significant. It's exponential, basically, where we're going to take your oxygen levels in the blood to over a 2,000 millimeters of mercury, they're going to get you up, up to under two, 200. So it's it's very important for a person who's trying to deal with either radiation problems or a, a diabetic who has a wound that's not healing. Can it, can it increase your oxygen just enough to get you to heal? Maybe, but very, very, very unlikely. Um, going back to my example of trying to cut a single antibiotic pill and into eighths or ninths and and hope that fixes your infection it's the exact same uh, notion here you really need that very very high dose of oxygen that a soft-sided bag just cannot cannot do for you in my opinion uh, you know it, it's it's on par with uh with a, a pedic a pedicure or something like that for making you come home and you feel good you spend some money on on feeling good but in terms of truly uh, having an impact on a disease process like this, I would strongly encourage somebody to find a true UHMS-accredited hyperbaric medicine program like ours where they're going to get the true modality delivered. Most definitely. It seems like a very innovative way of treating a majority of wounds today. We've been speaking with Charles Hall with Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia. Hey, Charles, uh, so you actually have to inhale. The oxygen. Right? That's right. And you're in a chamber. That's right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. There's a couple of different kinds. Um, uh, some folks may have seen, you know, and known that Michael Jackson had a hyperbaric medicine uh, chamber. And in fact, um, while he probably used it much like the person who goes to a soft-sided bag, mild hyperbarics to feel good and that kind of thing and misusing it, he actually started off with a couple of true indications for hyperbaric medicine. Back when he did his Pepsi commercial and he burned his hair, uh, he had very severe burns to his scalp. And, and uh, in fact, that is one of the indications for hyperbaric medicine therapy. If you can get to hyperbaric medicine therapy soon after a severe burn, the the, the the difference that you will see in terms of the healing time and the effects and extent of that burn uh, are greatly reduced. I mean, it's, it, it would shock you if you saw some of the patients that we've seen uh, who've had severe burns who got to hyperbaric medicine quickly. Um, dramatic differences. But uh, the other thing that uh, he he used it for was uh, for his uh, surgeries. He had had multiple surgeries to his face, obviously on his nose being one of those. Um, and when you have a flap of tissue like that, as, as plastic surgery might might do, and that gets compromised, that's something else that we can we can save. So he was going into the chamber for for good reasons to start with. Um, there's single person chambers. Um, they're they're uh, they're a large. Yeah. Are they different sizes? If, I saw them on your site. Yes, you uh, your I mean, we have we have multi multi person chambers that mm -hmm. uh, in our Kinnestone location, eight patients can go into at one time plus one of our um, technicians uh, and nursing staff in there with you. Um, in addition to that, we've got a very large uh, chamber that we can hold up to 12 patients in uh, Lithonia. Um, and that's like sitting in a small room. The, the one in Lithonia is very, you know, it's probably actually slightly larger than this room we're sitting in right now. Um, the the single-person chambers are, are very comfortable. Even a very large person can fit into them comfortably. They have uh, a reclining bed, if you will, that you can raise the head of the bed and each of those chambers, including our multi-place, have televisions right there. They can hear hear TV while they're inside the chamber. So, um, I'm glad you said that because you know uh, when I looked at the site, I just saw the line of uh, tubes chambers, yeah, yeah. and I thought, gosh, if you had uh, you know claustrophobia, you wouldn't you'd probably have a problem with that. But and you have large rooms. That's awesome. A lot of our patients, um, well, I say a lot. There, a number of our patients definitely you know express some concern about. Uh, the you know confinement concerns. Uh, I'm claustrophobic. I don't think I can go in there. For for the majority of those patients that are a little nervous, I was one of those. I actually have treated in our chamber. Um, but uh, the 
the majority of those patients can be assisted with a very, very low dose of some kind of anti-anxiety medication. And that's usually enough to take the edge off of any concern they have. Because what we do is we go very slowly with them and getting them acclimated to the chamber and let them see, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. Because obviously the you saw the single-person chambers there. It's acrylic, so it's it's clear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like being in a fishbowl, if you will, um, in terms of it's how, you know, just it's clear all around you. You're not enclosed in a space that you can't see out of. Uh, and, and personally, I felt like the uh, single-person chamber was quite comfortable. I didn't have to see what my neighbor wanted to watch on TV. I got to choose what I wanted to watch. Um, and, uh, you know, you get to recline, mm-hmm. you know, comfortably, you know, uh, in, in, in the bed. Can I have flavored oxygen? Unfortunately, <laughs> no. We actually uh, had a guest on his financial business, financial planner, and his company was <laughs> Oxygen Financial. And uh, he actually served up uh, flavored oxygen in his uh, foyer. Very, very intriguing. Her children loved it. With us, with, with our treatment, unfortunately, you, you you won't really you know get any kind of sensations out of it. Other than no nitrous oxide to if throw in. If you get a kick out of popping your ears, you might be able to enjoy that. But okay. uh, unfortunately, no flavors. All right. More importantly, uh, Charles. Uh, Let's, uh, does insurance uh, do people does insurance that's cover a, this? That's a great question, uh, and the answer to that for for the things that we treat, which are all evidence based uh, indications, um, the major medical carriers, Medicare, Medicaid, all of those uh, third party payers will cover um, just about everything we treat, with very few. Uh, exceptions. Why to don't that. we hear more about it then? Well, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. It's expensive to be in the media, um, you know, on television and on radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's very challenging to get uh, public uh, awareness raised so that patient can say to their doctor, hey, you know, I've been having this problem. I, my, it's not getting better. What about this? Does it um, have to have a doctor referral? In in most cases, no. And, and and in the cases where a person's third party payer recommends or requires uh, a a referral, we can help that patient. We can contact their physician, say, "Hey, the patient is here for this reason, um, and they're needing a referral to be treated." And and we can help facilitate that. And how so, many locations are there? And um, we how have many physicians. We have we have four here um, in the metro area, trying to spread it out so that you know a patient can gain access red- readily close to where they are because uh, you know it's. You got to come for your treatment every day. It's it's very much like um, going for chemotherapy or, or radiation therapy. Um, it, it's a you know part of that process involves being frequently treated. You have to be you know the ideal situation is seven days a week while you're while you're treating. But obviously that's you know not going to work for for people logistically with uh, uh, the rest of their life to take care of. So what we do to get a, a medium where we're maximizing your exposure but also giving you some, some time to have your, your, your daily life, we, we treat five days a week. Um, and so you need to have access to that close to where you live or close to where you work, and that's why we have multiple practice locations around the city. Excellent, excellent. Well, before we get into how people can reach you, uh, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to – Ad that we haven't asked uh, about. I, I think that you know, basically, from my perspective as a physician liaison who's here to try to help our patients and our medical community know more about what we do, I would just say that you know, if you're a patient or one of your loved ones is somebody that's dealing with a wound that's not healing well, with if particularly if they're a diabetic or if you have somebody that that you know that's had radiation therapy and they're having some quality of life issues. I mean, many of those the radiation patients, unfortunately, will have dealt with their problems for months or years before they ever find us or um, have a physician that says, hey, maybe you should go for hyperbaric medicine. So um, that's what I would say is if you have somebody that that is dealing with either a problem where they've had radiation or they have a wound of whatever kind that's not getting better like it should, then go to a wound specialist and personally knowing that our physicians are certified wound specialists. Uh, they haven't just done it for a long time. Um, we were one of the first programs in the city. We've been around here for about 20 years now. Um, uh, being in a UHMS program where the physicians are truly certified in wound specialty care mm-hmm. um, is where I would recommend that you go, not just somebody who 
takes care of wounds because you could end up going there for months and months and months. Yeah, and some of the bios on your website of uh, the physicians, uh, Emory Medical. I mean, mm-hmm. this is uh, these are serious folks. Uh, yeah, that that's are, right. I would engaged. I would I would certainly have my loved ones cared for by any of our physicians. Uh, Charles, we're we're speaking with Charles Hall with the uh, Hyperbolic Physicians of Georgia. Charles, tell our listeners how uh, they can get more information about your practice and learn more about Hyperbolic Physicians of Georgia. Um, you can go to uh, the an abbreviation for hyperbaric medicine is HBO, uh, kind of like the the movie channel. Only uh, hyperbaric oxygen is what that stands for. So our website is HBO MD as in doctor uh, GA dot com hyperbaric physicians of Georgia. Um, so HBO MD GA dot com. There's good information there that answers some frequently asked questions. Um, there's uh, a location there where a patient can complete some forms if they want to, you know, bring those with them before they come. They can do that. And I apologize if I said hyperbolic. Ah, it's, if it's, I said it, that, is uh, is there a difference? Is it the same thing? Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, hyper hyperbaric basically means um, you know the the baric part of it is talking about the pressure. So we're we're dealing with high pressure. Um, so hyperbolic being you know we're we're talking in big flowery terms so uh, the biggest the, the most confusing thing that most people you know mix us up with is bariatric surgery um you know just because you know, right, you know the, right, right. The, they're so close in in terms of the way they sound for somebody who you know doesn't deal with the medical terms all the time and that's a lot of folks so it's, okay. it's an easy mistake but uh, hyperbaric medicine so if you go to hbomdga.com you'll be able to get a lot of your questions answered you can find contact information for each of our locations and see which one is closest to you so that you know you can find one that uh, would be convenient to where you are. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Charles, for being on the broadcast today. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud brought to you by CDI Managed Services and EMC. Next up on our broadcast, we have Jess Parsons-White with Open Hand Atlanta. Good morning, Jess. How are you? Good morning. I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. Tell us about the company and what you do, Jess. Well, Open Hand Atlanta is actually a nonprofit that's been in this community for over 25 years now. And we actually started in the late 80s serving a community that was dealing with um, HIV and AIDS. And this was kind of the boom and the epidemic that we saw where mm-hmm. the folks that were, were struggling with this had nowhere to turn. They were getting shunned from a lot of their, their usual support systems. And so we started out of a church kitchen just preparing meals. It was about dying with dignity and providing mm-hmm. people access and means to, to food. So we actually did not start with nutrition in mind. It was more about just feeding and, and being a support mechanism and letting people know that we cared and can show compassion. Um, we, we evolved um, quickly. Um, just looking at the needs of the community and in the mid to, to late 90s, um, city commissioners came to us and community at large said, you know, we've, we're dealing with all these chronic disease, disease epidemics that are coming in. We're looking at diabetes. We're looking at our baby boomers who are now stricken with um, comorbidities that we've got to address. And you've got a model that is getting food out through all these different channels to people that need it most, can we expand the model? And at the time, we have a, a very visionary um, executive director, Stephen Woods, who said, you know what, let's make room at the table. You know, it is it is about more, and if we really are true to our mission and, and about that compassion and about, you know, showing people that we can make a difference in addressing these needs, we can absolutely tackle this next challenge. So we did just that. We expanded our mission and we said at that that point, that critical nature, dealing with chronic disease, we had to look at nutrition. It wasn't just about supplying you know, energy, calories. It was about what were those calories made up with? What, you know, what the balance of micronutrients, macronutrients, and getting to the science-based evidence of how can we help prevent or better manage these chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we definitely have evolved. We, uh, we've come, come a long way in 25 years, and now really our mission, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it because I always, it's, it's a long mission, I won't lie. Um, <laughs> it's, it's that open, open hand pre- um, helps people prevent or better manage chronic disease through um, comprehensive nutrition care, which I'll explain in a minute, which combines home-delivered meals and nutrition education as a means to reinforce the connection between informed food choices and improved quality of life. And really what, what that kind of comes down to in breaking it down is that, that comprehensive nutrition care 
which is a, a term that we coined, is looking at more than a meal. And you'll see if you visit our website, everything says more than a meal. It's about more. And it is partnering that proper nutrition with the education to get people to understand that connection, that nutrition can improve their health. So whether they're in a preventative state and looking at, hey, I've got a you know family history of diabetes, of hypertension, um, or I've got, you know, I've already been dealing with HIV or, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with cancer right now and going through chemo and I know that that food can help me better manage this, we want to be that support system for them. And so we, we provide them the food, but we also give them resources along with it. So we've we've expanded that model from just being food to actually employing um we have over 10 registered dietitians on our staff, and we're, we're a small nonprofit, so that's a, a large part of our team. And these dietitians range from culinary dietitians who prepare and design all of our gourmet meals. And so it is about balance of macronutrients, micronutrients, building a healthy meal from the ground up, not trying to modify something after the fact, which is where we see a lot of that stigma for cardboard tasting healthy food. You know, when you try to take something out and replace it with something healthy, you lose that that quality. And so it is about building health, you know, healthy, fresh, mm-hmm. um, in using those ingredients and, and building it into something that's appropriate, medically appropriate for those populations that need it most. Um, so then we provide those, those dietitians with that kind of route. We have dietitians that um, are what are called community health dietitians. And these, these dietitians are are out in the community supporting our clients on the open-hand side. So folks that have been diagnosed that qualify for meals and nutrition assistance. So through Medicaid, through our um, Healthy Aging, our grants, Orion White grants, there's a bunch of different um, avenues out there for um, clients in the community to receive open-hand meals and, and funding for those meals. So we provide the meals to them at no cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're getting these meals and they're they're appropriate for whatever condition they're dealing with, whether it's renal, whether it's you know they they are dealing with a chronic disease like diabetes. Um, so managing all of those guidelines per um, American Diabetes Association, we're looking at the guidelines set forth by American Heart Association, the Academy of Nutrition, putting that all into empirically-based um, kind of platform to build those meals from the ground up. Um, and the dietitians that are that are doing that are going into senior centers. They're going into community housing projects to places all around the community to teach people how to use this food. Then, so it's not just about receiving the meal. It's what is on your plate, and this is why it's there. This is what it's helping with. So that you know, on a day that they may they may be recovering or better managing, that they don't qualify for meals any longer or find themselves of, of better means and resources, they can on their own make the choices to to keep them in a healthy um, state of well being. I love your mission, Jess, and, you know, the fact that uh, we hear so much in the media today about the importance of good food, the power of food, and how it can do so much to help heal or even stabilize those who are ill and and help prolong the life of the elderly, and it's uh, phenomenal. One thing that I liked uh, that I had saw on your website, it said 100% of the net proceeds from Good Measure Meals go to open hand. Uh, to help support its mission and provide healthy meals, as you mentioned, uh, to those who are underserved and chronically ill in the communities. And with that being said, um, since you do partner with Good Measured Meals, can you talk a little bit more about Good absolutely, Measured Meals? Absolutely, absolutely. So Good Measured Meals is actually what's considered a social enterprise. And so we, um, prior to being part of Open Hand, we were actually founded by Tom Murphy, who's a local restaurateur here. He owns Murphy's in the Highlands. Um, and it came out of the need for preparing and having a food um, uh, food source for his ailing mother um, who was getting up there on age and she needed access to something that was going to provide her with healthy food that was convenient and easy for her to prepare. And um, he was a busy man and he said, there's got to be something out there. So he created Good Measure, a rented space from the Open Hand Kitchen, um, kept with it for about a year and then sold it back to Open Hand as, as the idea or it, with the idea of becoming a social enterprise. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the social enterprise, it's basically taking people that are really passionate about a mission and putting it in a business-like modality. So we're looking at, you know, functioning technically as a for-profit within a non-profit. So mm-hmm. our stakeholders, I mean, we don't have, it's, it's no one making extra bonuses at the end of the year. 100% of those net proceeds are going right back in to fund 
everything that we do, all the programs and the meals that we provide on, on the open hand side. And the beauty of this model is in the innovation of it. And, you know, for those of us that work in the nonprofit field, the funding streams dry up so fast, especially when it's unreliable when you're going through any kind of the economic turmoil that we've seen in the last decade. And we have to be proactive about finding ways that we can be financially sustainable because at the end of the day, we still have to satisfy the folks that, that don't have access to means. If we go away, they're not getting food. They're not improving their health. And so we, we are diligently looking for ways to, to combat that. And Good Measure has allowed us to build an entire revenue stream so that we aren't as dependent on funding from grants, from government contracts, from the philanthropic side that so many you know, nonprofits that we see end up going away mm-hmm. during times of financial kind of need. Um, so Good Measure Meals was actually uh, a calorie-controlled gourmet meal plan that's available to the general public. So it's delicious gourmet food that's already prepared. It's packaged for you. So it's it's fresh, not frozen. We're not talking about any kind of shelf-stable or frozen mm-hmm. meals. It's fresh, real food. And it goes it goes into a fridge around uh, pickup locations all around the city. You call in, you order. It's an e-commerce system. So you can order it online. You can call in and order it. And then you pick up at the site that's closest to you. So basically, instead of going to the grocery store, and we, we kind of use the tagline, out of the kitchen and into your skinny jeans, because you're, you're taking away the time that is so valuable for so many people and the frustration with how to cook healthy, what to purchase. And we're, we're doing that part for them, but teaching them how to do it, in it as we're, we're going along. So it isn't looking at keeping someone on this program for years at a time. It's about that step down. It's about here, we'll, we'll show you how to, how to portion. We'll show you what kinds of food, the variety and proteins and um, the balance between macronutrients and micronutrients, and then kind of wean you off. So you can purchase one, two, three meals a day, um, five or seven days a week, and then you pick up twice a week your fresh food from whatever pickup location. Um, you're closest to, you bring it home, put it in the fridge, and you heat it up when you're ready to go. So it's a very convenient way for the general masses to invest in their health, while also knowing they're investing in the health of the rest of their community. So it is that give back, um, you know, feel good message that you're able to to be a part of that, mm-hmm. that bigger picture. You know, I enjoy uh, talking to and listening to people who are very passionate about their work, and I certainly get that from you. And I know that you're no stranger to the world of healthy living, being a daughter of a healthcare professional as well as an exercise yeah. enthusiast, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Oh goodness, uh, that's a, that's a tough question. So I actually, you know, I knew from the get go that I wanted to do something in, in health and wellness, and um, I I think for me it was I was in. I was in school doing cognitive psychology. I was pre-med. I had all this stuff going on. I, I knew that I didn't like blood, <laughs> um, but that I, I knew I could make an impact. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of it came through opportunities I had throughout my education to say, where, where can I have the biggest in- impact? And that was really through health programming and through expanding access. And I think, you know, for me, I got my master's in extra sports psychology, but it was in behavior modification. And um, my mom is a nurse practitioner, and I spent a lot of time hearing kind of her woes of the healthcare industry, how you know, she's only had 15 minutes to work with a patient and, you know, it wasn't enough time to get to the root cause. And even if you said, you know, just eat, eat healthy, there's no way to monitor that for her patients where, or, you know, she worked in some, some of the, um, more disadvantaged communities in, in Georgia and they didn't have access. They were food deserts. You know, even if she told people, Hey, you need to up your, your fruit and vegetable content or, or intake, People were unable, unable to do that. And so the whole concept was let's let's make this accessible. Let's bring it to the masses. And that way, those that can't afford the good measure line are also basically investing in their neighbors as well. And that was that, that kind of beauty and that, that synergy between the two two brands. Excellent. And that that's back to the passion. So that's what I'm passionate about. I just really, I love the fact that we can be innovative in a business sense, but keeping it true to our mission and and aligned with the true needs of a community. Exactly. The benefits are amazing. You know, they often say that the heart of the home is in the kitchen. Let's talk about the heart of your kitchen and how do you guys go about preparing those tremendous volumes of food? Oh, I I challenge anyone to come spend a day in our kitchen. (laughs) It is absolutely amazing. Um, I've had, I can speak from experience, especially this last few weeks with snow days, we had all hands on deck. So even my team that's usually out in the field doing health education was in the kitchen, donning hairnets and helping package food um, just to get to those clients in need on the, on the open hand side that we're going to be without food for a couple of days during a snowstorm. And 
it is uh, to, to produce, prepare, package, and, and get out the door 4,000 meals a day is wow. a ton of work. Um, we have a, a fairly large kitchen that actually just expanded, which is my attire today. We're moving into a, a facility that will triple our capacity, expanding our reach to, to really help more people. Um, and this is this is a huge win. We we get a lot of attention from uh, Atlanta businesses that are, are looking to help and invest in that innovation process. So we work with the Georgia um, Center of Innovation, um, Georgia Tech, sorry. Um, they come and do a couple of the, the lean processes um, with us. Um, we've, we've worked with Deloitte, who's done a lot of pro bono projects to help us um, address some of the needs that we wouldn't as a nonprofit be able to to really address. So whether uh-huh. it's on the back end, those efficiency models, but it really is, I mean, it, the beauty of everything is in our volunteer base. So we have over 15,000 volunteers a year wow. from faith-based communities, from the corporate communities, um, from schools and universities, um, individuals and families that donate their time to really make the model work. So we have employees, all of our food is prepared by a culinary team. We don't have, we don't have volunteers in the kitchen there. Um, but so it's, it's all prepared and, and developed by them. But then we, we have groups of, of volunteers that are in there packaging all of our open hand meals. Now on the good measure side, we have obviously being a for-profit going to, in the retail side, we have, um, we have employees that, that do all that because everything has to be weighed perfectly. But in, in terms of the efficiency, we have an amazing kitchen team that they've got down to being able to work with. I mean, you think about how hard it is to train your own teams to do something correctly. Uh-huh. We've got volunteers coming in a new group every four hours. Right. And they've mastered the art of teaching people how to utilize opportunity to you know, work kind of in essence on an assembly line, but taking advantage of developing that team building, that camaraderie with, with the folks that are doing it with them. And at the core, it makes it, it makes it so functional because everybody's doing it for the right reason. Mm -hmm. It's all about the mission and it's about giving back. So everybody's empowered, you know, to really give full effort and, and get behind and get excited about what they're doing. So make it work. Yeah. So 15,000 volunteers, 4,000 meals a day. I mean, it's, it is a beautiful, beautiful (laughs) chaos. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, incredibly heartwarming. And rewarding. Yes, absolutely. We're speaking with Jess Parsons White with Open Hand Atlanta. Wow, Jess, I've got a whole different uh, vision of what's going on over there. I, You know, when I thought about it, I looked at the website and all that, and I just took a glance and it's gourmet foods and, you know, dietitians and uh, and now you're talking about the volumes of food and, and, and fresh food. Fresh food. Uh, puts a whole different spin on it. Is it, uh, is there, can you talk a little bit about the cost structure for, for that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so on the, in, in terms of what's going out to our consumers. Mm-hmm. So what we do, and, and because we are, are mission-based, um, and it is about expanding access, we look at what the American consumer spends uh, per day on food. And that comes out to roughly, last estimates were around $24, $25. So we said, well, if our mission is truly to expand access, it has to be below that. We want to make this truly something that people can utilize. And so um, we have different models. There's flexibility within the plan. You can do one, two, three meals a day. But the cost structure, if you were to get three meals a day, um, for five or seven days a week, it's as low as really $7 a meal, which if you're eating out all the time, I mean, you're saving so much money. I, I split a plan with my husband and we, we cut our bills by about $200 a month just from not eating out and, and all of the food that you end up wasting after going to the grocery store. That's, that's uh-huh. me being guilty there. But, you know, we all, we all look at, if you sit down and actually look at what you spend, how much you can save by taking away all the, the extra, extra stuff that, that goes to waste or, you know, the time that is spent. And I think that's big for, for those of us that are in the business world is, you know, you put in 12, 13 hour days at the end of the day to come home and, and cook is, is not realistic. So you go spend extra money to go out to eat and, you know, and it's, it's more time and it's just, it's a wonderful way to, to be financially savvy, but also invest in your health. I mean, you're, you're reinvesting in, in yourself, um, yeah, and it's, and it's you know thing. compared to the what I had envisioned was the, you know, the Marie Osmond, uh, Dan Marino, and all those you know, <laughs> uh, notable people getting these meals that are frozen. Yeah. I yeah. presume, and I have no idea what that costs, but I know it's not it's not inexpensive. It's no, and not only you can get fresh food, and well, and that's what we tell people is that we're you know it it is a great option because you're not only you're keeping it local, you're you're reinvesting in your community. We're staying here, we're providing programs that are here in Atlanta. Um, it's fresh food, it's not shelf stable, it's it tastes good, it is gourmet food. Um, our culinary dietitians were trained at um, one was at Johnson and Wales, the other is the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City. They're phenomenal. Um, we have an 
executive chef who's brilliant, um, local local here, and worked at some of the nicer restaurants around town. And they, they work so seamlessly together to create things that are going to introduce people to wonderful new foods. Um, so using things like quinoa and um, farro and, and different types of health-promoting um, grains and, and foods. So it's it's wonderful. I know that I've eaten better than I've ever eaten in my entire life. Um, and I'm a foodie. I mean, I, I, I love food and I, I love what we do and I, I can fully stand behind everything that we produce in our kitchen. Wow. I'm not sure if I'm hoping my wife is listening to this show or not. <laughs> I'm sure she would like it. She doesn't yes, have to cook as much. Yeah. Uh, I, I am pretty excited about trying it myself. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, what does the future have in store for, for, for open... Hand. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of great things on the, the horizon for us. We've partnered with a lot of wonderful folks in the community to expand our services. We have dietitians now that are that are at corporate wellness sites around the city providing nutrition consultations, um, metabolic testing. We have um, partners that, you know, gyms and wellness centers. We partner with medical um, facilities to have our coolers on site and, and available for the corporate locations. So some of the big, big Fortune 500 companies that are here in Atlanta headquartered actually have good measure coolers on site as part of their benefits program because wow. they're seeing that the investment in their employee health is is prov- providing a great ROI and incentivizing um, their employee base. So, you know, expanding that way. Um, open Hand will continue, um, you know, continue to expand and, and looking at making more room at the table. Wherever we can find, you know, those avenues to, to fulfill our mission. Um, we, we recently made the strategic um, decision to move into the family and, and child um, youth market. So we're doing a a lot of partnerships with places like YMCA, QCC, where we, we go and we provide the meals, but we're doing kids in the kitchen programs, cooking demos, things that get kids active with their families and, and engaging them on how, how to interact with food and to be knowledgeable about it. We've been talking to Jess Parsons-White. She is the Vice President of Good Measure Meals. Uh, Jess, tell our listeners how they can reach out to you and your organization and get involved. Uh, uh, we need more volunteers, right? Absolutely. I'll start with the volunteers. <laughs> if you, you know, we take we take volunteers to deliver routes, to package meals, special projects, consulting, whatnot. Um, those volunteers can hop on the Open Hand website at www.openhandatlanta.org. Um, if you are interested in Good Measure Meals, it's www.goodmeasuremeals.com. Whether it's corporate wellness meals or, or just wanna wanna be involved in some sort of fashion. Thank you, Jess. Absolutely. Thank you. Keep up the good work. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, where we talk business to business. We'd like to thank our guests today from Speedy Missions, Rich Palantiri, from Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, Charles Hall, and Jess Parsons-White with Open Hand Atlanta. We appreciate you all for being on the show. I'm Nicole Toptosh, along with my co-host, Dominic Rainey, with CDI Managed Services, where we work with companies to maximize their investment in IT infrastructure and cloud solutions and support. To listen to this show and other Silver Lining in the Cloud broadcasts, go to silverlining.businessradiox.com. And until next time, remember, when it comes to IT solutions and cloud support, CDI Managed Services is your silver lining in the cloud.